Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, I know I personally have, have really benefited and have enjoyed our time together, not only because you take me out to breakfast at Rainbow Grill, but uh, because. And so we're really excited to hear from Frosty this morning, so let's have a word of prayer. God, we thank you for uh, the work you have done through the GGF, and we thank you for the part that Frosty has played in that. And we just pray this morning as he brings your word to us, uh, that you give us ears to hear, uh, that the words he say he says touches us exactly where uh, we need them to, where you would like them to. And so we pray for those uh, who need encouragement to be encouraged, for those who need a challenge to be challenged. And we just pray that you speak through him this morning as we study your word together. In your name we pray. Amen. It's great to be here this morning. Very good to be back home again. Always good to be back in Seattle because, as Jim said, uh, this is my home church. I bent the rebar that is holding this building up. So feel secure in that. (laughs) We have had a great week with our family Bible conference. When Jim and I began to work on, Jim is the, uh, not only the nephew, but he's also the chair of our family Bible conference committee. And when we began to work on a theme for our conference, we want it to be something along the lines of the Grace Gospel Fellowship's theme for the year. Our theme this year as a fellowship is read, know, live the timeless word of God. And we're encouraging people to read God's word, to get to know it more deeply and to live it out in our lives. And we're saying as we say that, that it is eternal, but that it is also timeless, that it is it is as relevant today as it was the day when God first spoke it. And we believe that with all of our hearts. And so as we chose this theme, we decided on the theme, thinking of the Northwest, of trees. Good, huh? And then we thought about roots. Because actually the Word of God is what has us rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are rooted, in fact, in the Word of God as well. Our first service, we talked about God's truth today. We talked in our second service about being anchored as a root anchors itself to the ground. The root of a tree anchors that tree. We talked about the fact that we are anchored in God's truth. Our next one, as the root gathers nourishment from the earth, we talked about being nourished by God's truth. And then last night we talked about growing from God's truth. The theme today is God's truth tomorrow. And to look at God's truth tomorrow, I'm going to take you back to those wonderful days of yesteryear. Not when the Lone Ranger was riding again, but even further back to the book of Daniel. So if you'd please turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel's in the Old Testament. The last of the major prophets, after Psalms, you have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Don't get stuck there. Keep going. (laughs) Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. 
And as you're looking, I want to share a verse from 2 Timothy 3, where the Apostle Paul says, Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. A lot of times when we think about tomorrow, we think, boy, things are getting worse. And perilous times are around the corner. How can the Lord wait any longer before he returns the way the world is going? You know, back in the 60s, when I was a teenager attending this church, I heard a number of sermons proclaiming that. (laughs) And yet, we know the Lord will come, but in his sovereignty, he has not come yet. But in the 60s, the adults who were in this church, as I looked up to them, were talking about the fact that, yes, perilous times are coming and we see the signs of it. I remember one Sunday night when a very definite sign came forth. A young lady by the name of Linda Hellstrom came walking into the Sunday evening service and she was wearing jeans. Man, if nothing before had shaken the foundations of this building, my rebar almost gave way. Fortunately, though people were a little shaken up by this, the people in this church loved the young people. And they were wise enough and knew God's grace enough to eventually say, well, praise the Lord, Linda Hellstrom, a young person, is at church on Sunday night. And they were thankful for that. The years went by and Kathy and I were here at home from the mission field and last days came again. The drums were introduced to Brian Bible Church. <laughs> uh, we sat behind a couple dear women who I was sure that this was it <laughs> for them. The Lord didn't come. They lived a few more years. And drums are still at Berean Bible Church. So that wasn't the last days either. Today, we live in a time in which, in the month of May, the House of Representatives of the United States rejected a ban on gender-selected abortion. Meaning that they would not say that it is illegal in the United States of America to abort a baby just because she is a girl. We live in a time in which yesterday, one of our U.S. representatives married his partner in a same-sex union. We live in times in which those of us who hold to the truths of this book say, wow, (laughs) perilous times have come. Hard times have come. I read on the U.S., or excuse me, on Fox News uh, internet site yesterday, and you know, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. (laughs) But that there is a a, a man who has been jailed or who will be jailed in Arizona because he defied orders and held a home Bible study in his home. You say, where's the world coming? Where's it going, I should say? 
When I think of my children, more than that, when I think of my grandchildren, I think, what will they have to be rooted in tomorrow? What is there for them tomorrow? So what I would like to do today, as we consider the question of tomorrow, to look back at Daniel, to see what Daniel was rooted in, and how it made a difference. How being rooted in God's truth allowed Daniel and his companions to not flee from their culture, but to make an impact on their culture for God. Daniel chapter 1 talks about a time in the history of God's people in which judgment was falling on the nation of Judah. For those of you who are in confirmation class or Bible instruction class, you know that in 722, Israel fell, right? To who? Assyria, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Good job, Pastor Jim. You teach him well. (laughs) 722, Israel, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, fell to Assyria. A number of years passed by, and because there were godly kings off and on, in the nation of Judah, those, that little nation continued to survive, at least for a period of time. One of the godly kings in Judah was a man by the name of Josiah, who became king at age eight. And while he was king, 18 years into his kingship, they found the law of God in the temple. And they read it to the king and the king tore his garments and he started a a reform, a, a, a reformation really in his kingdom. And people's hearts turned back to the Lord. And Daniel, in the life, in the reign of King Josiah was born. And quite probably his parents, like all good parents, heeded the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and they began to teach their son the truth of God's word. But Josiah died. And Josiah's sons began to reign. His son Jehoahaz reigned for only three months. He was an ungodly man, and God sent the king of Egypt and took Jehoahaz back with him to Egypt. And so Jehoiakim, the brother of Jehoahaz, began an 11-year reign around 605 B.C. And it was during that reign that we began Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and and put them in the treasure house of his God. His God's name was Bel, B-E-L, Bel. And he put these things from the temple of the Lord in the temple of Bel. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz. Choose that for a name for your kid someday. I think that will really make him popular in school. King ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family 
and nobility. And we read in verse 6 that among these Israelites that he took were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these four young men were taken from their home, were taken from a culture, were taken from a place where the Lord God had been worshipped. They were, they were probably in their teen years, teenagers. And they were taken away from home. They were taken away from the place where people spoke their language. And taken to Babylonia where modern day Baghdad is. Basically from Jerusalem, approximately 545 miles as the missile flies. <laughs> and taken to that land where they didn't speak their language, where they didn't hold to their values, where they didn't read the things that they read, and they absolutely did not worship their God. And we read in verse 4 that these were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now, those of you who were adults when I was a young man probably recognized me in that. Right? What's so funny? These are sharp guys. Good-looking guys. And he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The idea was to re-educate them. Might you want to say even brainwash them in the philosophies of the Chaldean Empire. Teach them how to think. Teach them the things that we know are important. And culturize them. Make them know that this religious thing that they once had no longer applies. It is no longer relevant for them. Adapt to our culture. And not only that, the king assigned them daily amount, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Babylonians saying, wow, this is good. This, this is the best food and drink that we could offer you. The king eats this and we're giving it to you. They should have felt honored. But of course, from the place they came, they knew that food sacrificed to idols should not be eaten. And then they knew that certain foods are considered by God as unclean. Leviticus chapter 11 and God gave them that command in Leviticus 11 because He says in Leviticus 11 that even as I am holy, you have been called to be holy, therefore be holy in all you do. And so they knew they couldn't eat this stuff. But they were given it to eat. And then they were told, hey guys, you've got to know, no one re religion is right we have a number of gods. And you need to tolerate the gods that we have to offer as well. And so in verse 7, it says that the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. That name Bel at the beginning 
Nebuchadnezzar himself said in Daniel 4.8 that he was named after my God, Bel, Belteshazzar. Bel, protect the king. That was Daniel's new name. His name, Daniel, had meant God is my judge. Now he's supposed to carry the name Bel, protect the king. Hananiah, whose name meant the Lord is gracious, was also given a new name, Shadrach, the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael, whose name was who is like God, was chained to Meshach, who is like Aku, the moon god. And Azariah, whose name meant the Lord has helped, was given the name Abednego, servant of Nebo, another one of the gods. And basically, they were taught and instructed for three years, bombarded with information on how to eat, drink, sleep, live, and worship like idolatrous Babylonians. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved in his heart. Daniel refused to be defiled. Daniel, as the King James says, purposed in his heart. He made a decision. I will not go that far. And he says, I will not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat or the, or the wine that he is drinking. How did Daniel come to that place where he made that decision? What was it about Daniel that caused him to, say, to be able to stop and say, no, I will not do this. The only reason Daniel could do that was because in his formative years, he had been taught God's truth. He had parents who cared enough to teach. He had a king who cared enough to say, God's truth is truth. Believe it. And Daniel was influenced in that way in his life. And he came to know the truth of what he had in his day as Scripture. He didn't have a copy of the Bible, but it was placed within his heart by faithful parents, people who would teach him God's truth. I am thankful for my training. I am thankful for my training at home that I have received, or I did receive from God-fearing mother and father who not only sent me to this church, but brought me to this church, sat over there in this church, and told me and taught me that God's truth is truth. And when I'd say to them, should I do such and such? They would turn me back to the book. And the verses that I heard more than any other in my home were Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. And He will direct 
your path. And so when I had questions, even as an adult, I'd call up my dad and say, boy, dad, I, I need some advice. You know, should I do such as up? He'd say, Frost, trust in the Lord. Have you prayed to him? Are you acknowledging him? He'll show you. And he taught me that the truths of this book are true. <laughs> and I should apply them to my life. I remember as a child that when they had to buy a new car, to me at that time it didn't make sense. They knew they needed a new car. What did they do? We sat around as a family and prayed that God would show us the car to buy. I remember years later when I was a teenager, my dad worked for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. Some of you have heard of it. <laughs> Used to be the greatest newspaper in the city of Seattle, the best sports section in Seattle. I know that much. Now it's gone. But anyway, he'd come home. He, it was a morning paper. He'd get home 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and I would wake up hearing him pace back and forth upstairs praying. And I knew he was praying because he'd come downstairs to where my room was. He'd stand outside the door. And I could hear him whisper a prayer for me and my brother. And he'd go to each room, to each bed, praying for his kids every night. Sorry. <laughs> it's emotional. Why? Because he believed this book was truth. And he was implanting its principles into the lives of his kids. When our kids came along, the grandkids came over, 19 grandkids they had, along with their seven children and their, their families. We'd come over, the backyard would be a zoo, you know. And everybody talking and yelling, and my dad sitting on a lawn chair off to the side with an open Bible, reading it. Why? Because this was truth. And that's the example I received. And so when I was living in the 60s, and I want to tell you something, folks, the 60s was also turbulent times. The culture in the 60s was not a godly culture. When kids in the locker room at Shoreline High School would say, hey, let's take our girls down to Richmond Beach tonight. I knew they weren't going shell hunting. <laughs> You know, these were times in which we too were tempted. We too were living in a seductive culture. But we knew that God's truth applied to us and that we should live it out. I grew up in a church where there was a priority of, for teaching young people and children. And as I grew up here, I had adults who invested time in me. And I had leaders in the church who cared about the young people. There's a man by the name of Bruce Kemper, who was my youth pastor. And it was he who got me to memorize Daniel 1.8. That Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And I learned from Bruce that this is God's truth, and that I had to make the same stand. Later, as Bruce went on to 
drier pastures in Spokane. I had a man named Jim Carlson who was here. And when I was a high school student, Jim Carlson would repeatedly say to me, Frosty, don't forget 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That word all is always a tricky one, isn't it? (laughs) But it's what God means. It's what his word says. And so from this church, I learned those things. I was rooted in God's word. I couldn't help because of that to be aware that there was a conflict between what I was taught here, what I was taught in the home, from what my culture was doing. And the reason I was aware is because I was taught. Not because somebody told me those people are bad out there. They didn't say that. They said, this is what God says. Put this in your heart. And then when I looked at the culture, I'd said, it doesn't square. And then I had to make the decision. Will I or will I not continue in the things that were taught me? Keep your fingers in Daniel 1 and go with me quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and following, in fact, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Good news. Are you persecuted for your faith? Are you? Well, Compared to people in many parts of the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not, we don't know what persecution is. Because all these things that we complain about, oh, our society is going into the pits. Let me tell you something. People in China for a number of years haven't been able to gather like this with the Word of God open, but they have gathered. (laughs) Yes, they've been persecuted, but they have grabbed on to God's truth. And because of that, the church in China today, the real church in China today, is stronger than the church in America and growing faster than the church of America because while we have played with culture, (laughs) they have known that the only answer is here. Paul says, know this. Everyone who lives a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Folks, if you think things are bad now, cheer up. It's not so bad as what it's going to (laughs) be. It's going to get worse. Then Paul goes on and he says this, But as for you, as for you, continue in what you have learned. How you've become and what you've become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. Who had he learned it from? Well, Paul, yes, but also his mother and his grandmother and probably a community of believers around him. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
The culture will keep sliding, Paul said to Timothy. But you, Timothy, embrace God's truth. Because as you embrace God's truth, then you will be able to stand and then you will be able to impact your culture for Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened in Daniel chapter 1. Back in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1. I need to fly here. Daniel 1, 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food or, and wine. He asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, wait a minute here. <laughs> I'm afraid of my Lord the King who has assigned you food and drink. Why should, you, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Wait a minute, Daniel. Don't do this to me. Take a step back here. If you don't take this stuff, I'm going to die. <laughs> and he began to put pressure on Daniel. Daniel, you can't do it. You can't do this. Because it will affect me. And I'm sure Daniel and his friends also thought, you know, it could affect us too. <laughs> we could get expelled. We could get put to death by this. Is it worth it? And with a little bit of meat. <laughs> could ask God to forgive us after we eat it. Well, you know, what this wine offered to... I, we could ask God to forgive us. And besides, if we are partaking of this stuff that we've been told not to... God may someday give us a role in this kingdom and then we could change the laws. Why don't we fudge a little bit? They could have thought that. But they didn't. Because to them, the most important thing was to have the opportunity to stand before God and say, I've been faithful to you. And they knew that the scriptures say, those who honor God, God will honor. As Marcy Fossey would say, these four guys had guts. <laughs> she told me that the other night. They had guts. <laughs> these four guys had intestinal fortitude. They had stamina. They stood up before the ruler and they said, no matter what happens, we will be faithful to God. We're not interested in pleasing others if it means displeasing our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me, will save it. For what does it gain a man? Or what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world. To gain status. To gain prestige. To gain a place in the government. And to forfeit his own soul. And so Daniel and his friends remained strong. And they said no. And they got the chief official to agree to give him a 10-day trial. We know what happened in verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men. 
So the guard took them, took away their choice food and wine, let them eat just vegetables. And to these four men, God honored these four men. And he gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dream all and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the three years, at the end of the time set by the king, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. Daniel and his friends made an impact for God because they were faithful to God in a culture that was anti-God. They could have made excuses, but they chose not to. And because they were faithful, God's name was lifted up in Babylon. And if you were to, we were to go through, and we don't have time to go through all of the book of Daniel, but place after place after place, we find that because of the testimony of these four guys, God was honored, God was praised. For instance, real quick, over in chapter 3, I can't leave this one alone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the fiery furnace? Yeah, we remember that. The fiery furnace. Have to bow down. They said, we're not going to bow down to any God but our God. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay then, to the furnace with you, you're going to die. What did they say? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. Very respectful. Notice that, people. Respectful. Believers, respectful before the people with whom they didn't agree. Respectful to those who represented the culture. Respectful. But they said, you know, don't need to defend ourselves. If we're thrown in the, in the, into the furnace, our God can save us from it. He will rescue us, but even if he does not, O king, know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You know what happened. They went in. Fourth man was in there with them. Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar brought them out. Didn't even smell like fire, like soot. And Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 28, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Be cut to pieces. Fun. And their houses be turned to piles of rubble. For there is no other God who can save in this way. They were faithful. They were respectful. They were faithful. God was honored. Chapter 6, real quick. You know that story. Daniel in the lion's den. The king says, because, well, frankly, there were friends of Daniel. Friends. Other people who saw Daniel being put in power as prime minister, they said, That's not right. This guy doesn't worship our gods. Let's do something to get rid of him. And so they went into the closet to look for the skeletons. We're going to find something that Daniel has done 
to get him kicked out as prime minister. We don't want him in that role. So they dug, dug into his life. Let's find something there that he did wrong. Let's find some reason to depose Daniel. And you know what? They couldn't find anything. Why? Because Daniel was rooted in God's truth. And he lived God's truth in that society. They couldn't find anything. So they said, well, here's something. He's faithful to his God. Let's make a new law. So, hey, king, I've got an, we got an idea. For 30 days, no one can ask anything of anybody else or even any gods except for you. King says, wow, that's pretty neat. <laughs> I like that. That feels good. And so Daniel heard the order. And it would have been very easy for Daniel to say, you know, I can pray with my eyes open. You know? You know, we sit down to eat the cafeteria. Nobody else is a Christian, so... God knows my heart. Thank you, God, for this food. And nobody's seeing me go like this or anything like that. I don't have to stand out. So I could pray with my eyes open. Or maybe I could find a secret place to pray just so nobody will know. What it says is not that Daniel went to the king and said, let's overturn this law. Let's put something on the ballot to change this legislation. Instead, we read this, verse 10, Daniel, when he learned about the decree, went home to his upstairs rooms where the windows opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had always done before. So what happened? Took what came. Took what came. He knew it meant the lion's den. Did he fight the king on this? No. He knew the consequences and was willing to accept it. Of course, God saved Daniel. And the result, we read in verses uh, 25 through 27, when King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, saying, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Again and again and again. Daniel and his friends stood for God's truth, not fighting against people in the culture, but fighting the culture by the way they lived, being honest before their God. God blessed them, but more importantly, God was honored. He was uplifted. So what? How does that apply to us? Turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to conclude in this passage very quickly here. Philippians chapter 2. New Testament. Philippians chapter 2. What I want you to notice as we think back about Daniel and his friends is they did not withdraw from society. They did not go out into the desert of Oregon with a year's supply of food, armed, ready to defend themselves against a culture that was changing. 
They lived in their culture. And living in their culture, they, I will put it in this word, they coexisted with their culture. You know, I know Craig McDonald said it's a bumper sticker, coexist, shun away. You know what? Heard somebody say, and I think this is right, we all need to coexist. And I'll tell you in this way, I coexist with a lot of people. My cardiologist's name is Jihad Mustafa. And when Jihad wanted to do some work on my heart, I didn't ask him for his ordination papers. <laughs> you know, I knew that he was a doctor that I needed. My neighbor next door, Richard, doesn't know the Lord, but I coexist with him. I live with him. I live next door to him. And I'm praying for his salvation. I even live... Okay, this is tough. I even live among Tigers fans. <laughs> I've learned to coexist. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. Coexisting doesn't mean adapting to their way of life, nor does it mean adapting to their culture. But we do need to exist alongside of them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Uh, my friend Tim McGarvey said that he has underlined or he has highlighted this verse with his black sharpie. You know? <laughs> Get the point, you know? I mean, that's too convicting. So you use the black sharpie to highlight those verses. Anyway, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Where? In a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine as stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Paul says you are shining. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you are a light. As Jesus Christ is the light of the world, you now reflect that light. He doesn't say here, you must shine. He doesn't say here, you should think about shining. He says, you do shine. You shine as lights in this universe. And so therefore, shining as lights, live in this crooked and depraved generation. Why? Why? Because this crooked and depraved generation needs a witness for Jesus Christ. And if we pull ourselves back, it will never have that witness. We have a purpose for being here, folks. When God saved us, if our whole purpose after being saved was to worship God, He would have taken us to heaven. We could do it better there. If our whole purpose for being for being saved was to know Jesus better, He would have taken us to heaven where we would really know Him face to face. But He had more of a purpose for us. And so He placed us in the middle of a crooked and depraved, a twisted, perverted generation so that we can shine like lights in this generation. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was praying to his father for his disciples in John 17, you could jot this down if you want. I'm not going to give you time to look it up, but it's verses 15 through 18 of John 17. He said this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
sanctify them, make them holy, make them holy in their lives through your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. We have been sent in the same way Christ was sent. How was he sent? As a light to dispel darkness. How was he sent? To seek and to save those who are lost. And so Paul says, live in this world. Live in this crooked, depraved generation. Lives that are blameless. Lives that are pure. Children of God without fault. As you offer the word of life. Make an impact on your culture tomorrow. Make an impact on your culture today. Train your children and the children of those in your church, in your youth, in the one truth that endures forever. The Word of God. And then live it out in the middle of a crooked and depraved generation. Not to put them down, but to lift Him up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for who you are. Our great God, our great Savior, who loved us enough to send your Son to die for us, to give us hope, to give us life, to give us a purpose. Help us, O God, to know that even as you have given us that hope, life, and purpose, you've given us the responsibility to share that hope, life, and purpose to those around us, which means coexisting with them, which means not getting in their face every time they say or do something that we think is wrong. But instead, Lord, it means shining for Christ, being faithful to you, living a life that is different so that they can see that difference. And patting ourselves, Father, after the standard of your word so that you will be lifted up and you will be glorified. It's not easy, Father, for me or for any of us. Because the culture, as has been the case since Eden, (laughs) continues to bombard us. But, Father, you've given us your spirit. And different from Daniel and different from Timothy... We have your scriptures for us today to encourage and to push us on. Father, may we be helpful to one another. May we be honest before you. And may we live our lives today, this week, and each and every week for the honor and glory of our Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. You can pray for him and we'll get a report this afternoon on that. Let's bow our heads and pray. And as we do so, uh, from, the, from Paul's epistle uh, to the Romans, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God, 
be glory forever. Through Jesus Christ, amen.